0: Going into the hospital, I think, to be honest, the first time we realized the extent of the damage was when a friend of ours who is a, a specialist physician, so like an extra qualified GP, joined us in, in the emergency room. And he assessed the situation and helped with a few procedures at the casualty. He's obviously more qualified than a normal, an average doctor. And uh, then he came and he put his arms around us and he just started praying life and not death and to be honest to hear that from a medical doctor that he was crying out to God as opposed to anything that he could do was the first time we realized the extent of what we had landed
1: ourselves in so suddenly. What you heard there was the voice of Jackie Mungavin speaking about that devastating moment of realizing the severity of the situation her daughter was in after a car accident caused life-threatening damage to her brain we are going to hear the heart-wrenching story of Kiara, who doctors believed would not survive the trauma to her brain. Thank you for joining us for Focus on the Family. Your host is Graham Schnell, and I'm Alison Schnell.
2: Alison, there's that verse in John 16 that says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't think anyone, if they're honest, likes the first part of that verse. It's a promise that we will face trials. And we all do. But how we respond to them is important. Uh, It's the mindset, the worldview that we hold in the midst of trials. Uh, It's something of a declaration of our faith and of who God is.
1: Yeah. And it is a subject that we tend to touch on at Focus because it's so real. And so many people are in that place of feeling the burden of that trial Um, but our heart is really to echo the words of Jesus in that verse take heart I have overcome the world and here to speak to us on this topic is Jackie Mungavin Jackie's an author speaker blogger and the mother of seven children and she's also the wife of a pastor Jackie welcome to focus on the family Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's
2: great to have you, Jackie. And we've had you on the program before, speaking into parenting. Uh, You have a wealth of knowledge in that area and a a whole lot of experience with seven kids. Uh, But today, we want to talk about this issue of facing trials. uh, Because a little over a year ago, uh, your family went through a major trial. And because you're a writer, you're a blogger, and because I think you live your life authentically, uh, you, you live out your faith very authentically. You shared some of that experience through social media and you gained quite an incredible following, some of those posts reaching over 100,000 views. Uh, but let's start at the beginning. It was Christmas Eve 2018. Just take us back to that day.
0: Sure. So my husband had gone with six of our children to church to our christmas eve service and i was following behind uh, with kiara i was preparing to preach so he gave me a few minutes home alone uh, just with kiara to look after me (laughs) and as I was turning into our church property, I was cross, had to cross over oncoming traffic, and there I passed in front of a car, but I didn't realize that there was a motorbike busy overtaking on the wrong side of the road, and he was diagonally behind the car, so I wasn't able to see him, and obviously going a lot faster than it, and so as I crossed the second lane, he hit into our passenger door, which uh, hit Kiara. Our whole car jumped, windows smashed, mm-hmm and I thought that that was all that had happened and I turned to Kiara and I said, oh my goodness, how is that? And with that she uh, fell onto my lap and I realized that she was bleeding from the head and, uh, and not conscious. So we took her off to the, the ambulances arrived, we went and what had ended up happening is possibly the handlebar had gone into a place in her skull in the front left of her skull and had fractured her skull and parts of the little bones had gone into her brain and so she had to have surgery to have those bits removed Mm -hmm. and um, reconstructed and put back with a plate. We weren't sure what the damage was at that stage. He thought that it was a localized injury but unfortunately during the night on, on Christmas night her brain swelled uncontrollably and they realized that what was thought to be a localized injury, was actually a global brain injury. The actual, it's not just hemorrhaging in the brain, the actual brain tissue is swelling. Mm -hmm. And um, we got a call first thing Christmas morning to say that they needed to rush her in because her brain had swollen uncontrollably. What happens is when your brain pressure is too high, you can't get fresh blood with oxygen into your brain. And so they wanted to do an emergency, almost a Hail Mary type of surgery where they remove half your skull And place it into your abdomen to try and keep it alive and the idea is that that would release brain release the pressure on your brain Um, it's the highest intervention that they can do medically and they tend not to do it because it's got about a five percent chance Uh, and with her unfortunately it actually didn't work it didn't reduce her brain pressure at all and her brain pressure continued to rise throughout Christmas
2: what what were your initial thoughts and feelings maybe right away when the accident happened and you realized she was bleeding and needed help and then even again later when you were receiving news that this was even worse than initially anticipated
0: i think at first you're just in shock so i actually jumped out of the car covered in blood from head to foot and said i'm fine to preach (laughs) that was my first response you just you focused on What's ahead of you and you just cannot take that into consideration that this is possibly bad? I mean, we've got kids, right? Five of my kids are boys. They bump their heads all the time and some heads bleed profusely and so you assume it's all going to be fine. Of course, it's going to be fine. You know, kids bump their heads all the time. Okay, not normally in a car accident, but I guess that's just the part of your brain that can accept it and then um, Going into the hospital, I think to be honest, the first time we realized the extent of the damage was when a friend of ours, who is a, a specialist physician, so like a extra qualified GP, joined us in in the emergency room, and he assessed the situation and helped with a few procedures at the casualty he's obviously more qualified than a normal an average doctor, and uh, then he came and he put his arms around us and he just started praying life and not death and to be honest to hear that from a medical doctor that he was crying out to God as opposed to anything that he could do was the first time we realized the extent of what we had found landed ourselves in so suddenly yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure. Jackie on the 27th of December so this is now just three days after the accident you wrote these words and I think sure these are some of the most powerful words I've read From your blog you said I'm 100% sure that the outcome is already guaranteed I don't know what it is yet but it is guaranteed to be his plan I know this because she is so hedged in and encircled with prayer that the only one who can get to her is God nothing is being stolen from us God is good and he has a good outcome there is no bad outcome either she goes to be with Jesus or she remains where I can kiss her feet and touch her skin and read her favorite books to her. Or she dances again on stage and she gets straight A's for school. And sure, it's hard for me to read that and I can see that it's hard for you to even hear your words spoken again. But the big question there, Jackie, is how did you get to that point of trusting God even in the midst of the circumstances you were in, because that's a huge faith step, and you can take your time to answer that.
0: I guess we sing the words of Christian songs and we read the Bible and we have this truth. We are formed around the truth. And I don't think it happens in the moment, to be honest. I think it depends on whether that truth has been allowed to form you and so it wasn't a sudden decision all right we're in the hardest battle of our lives it looks like we're losing our firstborn daughter Uh, I know it seems silly but it feels like to understand the magnitude of it Kiara is just perfect in every way she is just the most delightful child in the world I think in some ways I remember reasoning to myself i never knew what kind of man would ever deserve Kiara as a bride <laughs> and so maybe this is god's solution that <laughs> jesus will be her only groom and so you think these crazy things but it's about being formed around his word in the good times and in the boring times and in the daily monotonous just forming around his words because uh, one of my boys, his cricket coach always says, practice makes permanent. We think practice makes perfect, but it doesn't unless it's perfect practice. And he always says, it's, practice makes permanence. And as, you, as something becomes habit, as something becomes something that you are formed around, then in the unexpected moments, that's what comes out. Yeah. And we realized that actually we deeply, deeply believed That God was good, that he was able, that he could intervene at any time, and that we did not always understand his goodness. To be honest, to go into a little bit of detail, that came after quite a a revelation moment that I had. Would you mind if I just spoke it out a bit? So on Boxing Day, Uh, so this is afterwards, her her brain pressure just wasn't coming down, so she had now gone nearly 70 hours without sufficient oxygen. The surgeon at that point said, listen, there's no chance of brain function, but it is still my job to try and preserve her brain health, her her brain stem, in other words, that she would be able to breathe on her own. That was his win, was aiming for her to be able to be a breathing person as opposed to a thinking person. Um, once you've had a child in that situation. You don't use the word vegetative anymore, although the doctors do. Um, And I had this moment sitting in ICU. ICU is a really difficult place because everywhere around you is just death. Like there's people discussing whether or not to let their child go through life-saving surgery or whether to die. There's mourners gathering around a bed. There's patients moaning through the night. It's just it's like you're on the edge of death it's an awful place to be and i was sitting there and i pulled the curtain around so that i could only see kiara and i couldn't see the nurse that was watching her breathe and i just had a moment with god and i said god how can you bear it like I know you've watched your son suffer but I also know that I'm your child and you're watching me suffer in the same way that I'm watching Kiara suffer how can you bear it and um, I just started reading the Bible goodness the Bible really became a rock that I never knew was quite as solid as it turned out to be there was a scripture that came to me in Romans 8 from verse 18 it said I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we're aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. Even as Christians who have already experienced the first fruits of the spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. This is the hope of our salvation, but hope means that we must trust and wait. For what is still unseen why would we need to hope if we already have it and i remember during this moment as i was reading the scripture that god explained to me that he was not blind to the future because he had full vision things look different to him and as i was looking i mean i look looking at my daughter and she's got a bandage around her head that has no bone written on it in a permanent marker and there's just nothing <laughs> nothing hopeful and beautiful and nothing heavenly about what I'm looking at. And yet, as I'm looking at her, I'm starting to realize that, I don't know if you remember those 3D posters that we used to have. So not these days, we have these really cool movies, and you can kind of see them if you don't put on the red and green glasses. You can sort of see the picture. But back in the olden days, we had posters that, if you looked at the poster, it was just a blur of colors. It was a mush. It looked like some kind of... I don't know what the right artist would be uh, but where, where it's just a mush of colors and but if you look through the colors and you find a focal point in the distance then that very mess forms the picture you start to see maybe an Eiffel Tower in the distance and as it's in the far distance you can see okay when I focus there the picture start the mess starts to make the picture and that's what started to happen right for me then in that moment i'm looking through it and i can see kiara perfectly well in heaven and i can see that it's going to happen and i don't know whether it's going to happen now in the next few days or whether it's going to happen in 70 or 80 years which would be my preference (laughs) but either way the perfection is coming and this mess is what's forming it and so I guess my vision got healed we talk about 2020 vision but in that moment it was like infinity infinity vision to realize God has hope because he's seen the end Mm -hmm. and if we can see the end it's not the mess makes the picture
2: so it's a combination really as you said of not a moment a a lifestyle of trusting in God and being surrounded by his word his promises but also I mean, something of that moment gave you the ability to, to have that vision.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's those moments being your norm, yeah. being a regular occurrence. So that wasn't the first time God spoke to me on Christmas Eve, when Kiara was in her first surgery, um, again on Christmas Day, again on Boxing Day. and. I assure you it's not my norm every time i read the bible for it to be life-giving revelation and yet it's my norm to know where to go for life-giving revelation because you go regularly and some days you just read and it's good old (laughs) leviticus and what can you do and other days leviticus itself is feeding you life and so it's about it's about the combination as you say
2: well this is focused on the family so i want to ask the question about how you navigated your marriage through this season? And I know know, we've covered really the first few days, but this was a a long journey. At one point you wrote, my husband and I are passing ships, promising with the squeeze of the hand that we'll find each other again soon. Uh, What were some of the things you did to keep investing, however small, in your marriage through this very difficult time?
0: I think it's a similar answer again. It's about what you've built in, as well as about how you handle the moments. And so it is very comforting in a time like that, that for both my husband and for me as his wife, as well as our kids, there is family routine. When you have routine, then when it's broken, it's actually not as difficult, because you all know what is the safe rhythms that we'll come back to, which is incredibly helpful. And then it's about, which is not easy in the moment, because there's times in all of our families where one person takes priority. And that per, it's all about they've got an exam today, or they've got a big uh, business meeting coming up, or they've got a big cricket match at school, and the whole family turns and focuses on that one person. And that's really important. But when that's prolonged uh, for day after day and week after week, it does become very difficult. Um, so as far as marriage is concerned, we, I think we kept quite short accounts in terms of if there was something that one of us had said to the doctor or something one of us had uh, posted online without mentioning to the other, we would speak to each other about it. But at the same hand, there was a difference in terms of sensitivity that we've never experienced in marriage before in terms of understanding that the other person was completely and utterly raw. We tend to be quite robust with each other, which I don't think is wrong in marriage, as you know each other well. But on the same hand, we sometimes all wish we were treated a little bit more gently than how we think it's okay to treat each other. And so I think that we really learned in those days to speak with utter sensitivity, knowing that we were both completely and utterly broken. Because you were feeling it
2: yourself, so you could that on to, you know space. something
0: that was interesting in that time which you may not know to ask is we responded completely differently in trauma uh, what richard needed to get him through to me looked actually callous and ludicrous and i think vice versa like there was things that i needed that he just could not understand and it was interesting because we both knew this person is definitely needing this they can't be callous. There's no possibility that they're responding like this because they don't care, yeah. but yet they're responding like this. What and were so, some of those things? For example, Richard needed to be around his friends. He yeah. needed to be sitting in, in the coffee shop at the hospital as opposed to next to Kiara's bed. Yeah. He needed to have his friends around and um, have dinner with them and to me that looked like a party <laughs> and it looked like not okay, you know, and I needed to be with my daughter and. Um, Be in in the Word of God, he responded very differently. He was completely okay for his friends to be praying, and his friends to be, which I was okay as well. I mean, my friends prayed a lot more than I did, to be honest. Um, But it was just interesting how he responded differently. And I would go with him for dinner at a restaurant when we don't know if our daughter's going to make it through the night, and he would come and sit when he didn't want to see her in that situation, and he was less strong without that support of his friends around him. And so we would compromise. But I think it was that not assuming, not saying, how could you, you don't care, but rather, wow, it's interesting how you respond when you clearly do care. Help me to understand why you need what you need.
2: In those early days, those uncertain days, I know there were many scriptures you've already shared, some that really spoke to you. But there was one that became something of a campaign around Kiara, and it was the Psalm 37.7. Quiet your hearts in his presence and pray. Keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. Speak into what, what was around that, um, that revelation and what became something of a campaign to say let's keep hope alive for this young girl.
0: So that was actually the very first night uh, when Richard went back to the hospital to receive Kiara out of surgery at about midnight on Christmas Eve. Uh, I remained home because at that stage we hadn't thought that we need somebody at our house in case we rush off so I was there with the rest of the kids. And so I was home alone and it was about midnight and I went and sat down on a carpet and just picked up my Bible and I just said, right, God, <laughs> the word is living and alive. I need something today. I need you to speak to me, I need to know I need your word with pages on like Jesus is your word with flesh on I need the full Jesus package right now and um, just paging through I'm not one of those people that can say ah Revelation 3 verse 5 and look it up that always says something ridiculous to me that was not what God said but I just paging through and knowing the kind of places that he would talk and so I started paging through Psalms and I came across that Psalm 37 and what jumped out at me was actually a verse a few verses up where it says fix your heart on the promises of God keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes fix your heart on the promises of God and you'll be secure and so I thought right, well that's it God I'm looking for a promise so can I have a promise I need a promise and I carried on reading and a few verses down I felt that that when I got to keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you, I felt like he said, that's my promise. That's what, that is what I'm, I'm giving you. You get to keep hope alive, fix your heart on it. But in between, which God pointed out to me at the time, in verse four, it says, make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life. And I felt right then that what he was asking of me is that Kiara wasn't just on a surgeon's table, that she was on an altar and was I gonna let go? And make God the utmost delight and pleasure of my life. And when you're busy begging for the life of your daughter, and God says, will you let it go and instead take hold of my promise? Let go your daughter and hold on to my promise with both hands. And I know no other safe place. In some ways it felt like the most um, counterintuitive thing to do, to let go of my daughter when I wanted to hold on to her life. But on the same hand, I really trust God, and I would rather hold on to him if he's going to hold on to her. And so I chose in that moment. I said, fine, God, she's yours, mm. and I'll keep hope alive. Sure. Um, not knowing what I, exactly I'm keeping hope alive for, but I'm keeping my hope in you mm. and trusting that you've got the rest in your hands.
2: Well, that, I think, is a, an amazing place, a, a quite an emotional place, but an amazing place to end. Because really that's our heart, even in, in wanting to share this story, is that God was asking you to keep hope alive, but the hope was in him, yeah. not necessarily in what your expectations were. Yes. Uh, and I think that's a message for us all. It's not an easy message, uh, but it is a good message because he is a good God. And, uh, but there's so much more of your story that we want to hear. And so would you stick with us, and we'll keep going, and we'll hear that next time.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jackie. has been great chatting to you today. Thank you. I was honestly moved to tears so many times as Jackie shared Kiara's story with us. It's very difficult for a parent to grasp the idea of surrendering all to God in an act of faith when the life of a child is at stake. But what I believe God wants from all of us, as Jackie alluded to, is to love him first and allow him to be God. Kiara's story is truly miraculous, so you won't want to miss the conclusion. Please be sure to tune in tomorrow for that. Our resource offering today is a novel authored by Jackie called Finding Home. Inspired by a true adoption story, this novel is a call to lay down agendas and fears and to have the courage to follow God beyond the safety of familiar shores. It will challenge you, inspire you, and leave you hungry for the more that God has for you. You can order your copy online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. Thank you for listening in to Focus on the Family today. I'm Alison Schnell inviting you back next time for the second part of our program with Jackie Mungavin when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.